Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we are meeting today on the land of many different traditional custodians. I'm joining you from Kulin Nation and acknowledge that sovereignty of this land was never ceded by the Wurundjeri people. I acknowledge and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and recognize their heritage, beliefs, and relationship to the land. If I may, I'd like to encourage those who are also attending from unceded lands or are aware of other communities in your country that didn't cede their land to take a moment to acknowledge those people as well. Thank you very much for coming to today's webinar. My name is Donnie Marmer, tuning from Melbourne. I'm the program officer here at COSINDI and I'll be your moderator today. The talk this evening very special as we are celebrating Youth Activism Month in Indonesia. And this week, on the 20th October, uh, we were celebrating a triumphant day called Hari Sumpah Pemuda, remembering the spirit of youth that contributed to the development of Indonesia to date. And as an Indonesian youth myself, I feel proud of it and I've embraced that as well and the privilege that we have uh, and the power that been given by uh, all of our predecessors as well. Um, to give a context beyond that, we now recognize that how borderless and limitless, limitless youth engagement could be. And there's not much uh, conversation anymore about borders, about language barriers, and in contrary, youth can lead a movement that can change the world entirely. For example, Greta Thunberg, that's a very easy example that we can take. However, as someone that coming from a youth organization myself, I realized the impact of global pandemic might hit hard on our movement. And trust me, it's very, very hard to hold on towards this unprecedented time. Therefore, today, we are so honored to help this webinar and we have such an amazing panelist that will be joining us today uh, from, key from key youth organizations operating in Australia Asian sphere to discuss opportunities and challenges to maintaining youth connectivity with future opportunities and also leadership strategies for young professionals in the region to thrive post-COVID. Our speakers also will share lessons learned and innovations they have to create, adapting to this challenging time, especially in terms of empowering youth across the region. So, who are they? We are joined by three powerhouse speakers. First, we have Dr. Yang Mi-Eng, the Executive Director of the Asian Foundation, streaming from Malaysia. Hi, Dr. Yang, how are you doing? Uh, sorry, just on my mind. Hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Tony, for the introduction. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Yang. We'll also hear uh, from Julie Binu, Program Manager of Love Frankie, tuning in from Jakarta, Indonesia. Hi, Julie. Hi. Hello, everyone. Selamat sore buat yang ada di Indonesia. <laughs> Selamat sore. And the last but not least, the inimitable Cameron Allen, CEO of Asian Australia Youth Strategic Partnership, or, or ASIP, calling from Canberra, Australia. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Donnie. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I hope you're doing well over there. Going well. Uh, <laughs> nice Friday afternoon over here. Definitely. Um, later, we will hear them introducing themselves and the organization they represent along with their existing activities that they, can, they conducted these past years. 
So my suggestion is buckle up and prepare yourself with your notes because there will be such an amazing ideas and inspiration will be gained. Um, just a quick uh, housekeeping that this webinar is being recorded and live streamed through our Facebook page. And later on, we will publish this uh, webinar into a podcast and video format so you can just share it to your friends if you feel that you're inspired with our conversation today. And also, I would like to encourage you um, to, if you have any questions between the conversation that we have today, please put it in the Q&A section below. And I encourage you to ask as many questions as possible because this is also kind of like a safe ground to interact with each other as well and to get more information from our panelists. And if you kind of like tuning in from Facebook, you can also deliver your questions over there and then we're going to read it out, out loud as well. Um, last but not least, if you have any questions in Bahasa Indonesia as well, it's just deliver it. Jangan malu-malu. I will be there to help you answer that question, uh, deliver that question as well. Okay, now let's just dive straight in. First of all, um, I would like to know more about uh, Dr. Yang and ASEAN Foundation as a nonprofit that operates in the region to engage with youth activism and capacity building. Would you mind to tell us a little bit about yourself and ASEAN Foundation to your, to our audience? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Donnie. Actually, I wasn't prepared to talk about myself. <laughs> it's a youth day. <laughs> it's young people's day. <laughs> Actually, uh, I came from a, a government and also a corporate world. So I used to be a, a person who is very much into uh, uh, creative industry. So it's like media, uh, games, animations, you know. I, I think that most people knows about Uping Ipin and Bobo Boy and all that. Those days, these were my babies, you know. We, I was nurturing them and, you know, make, they are, today they are what you can see everywhere in Indonesia. They are one of the top IPs. I'm very proud of that. So uh, I'm pretty much quite an entertain, uh, entertainment person from the entertainment uh, industry. But I have also been known as a, a business, uh, because I do a lot of business matching uh, before, and then also blockchain, because uh, my last uh, my last career was in uh, blockchain. Uh, one of the early women, female, uh, female blockchain acti uh, person. So I did uh, ICO those days. You know, I mean uh, that now is ICO kind of like uh, 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 people is a bit worried about ICO because uh, there's a lot of coins, you know, selling and all that, you know. But I'm glad that I went through all these things. Huh? You never went through, you never know what it is about. So I'm glad I did that, you know. So no, no, I have no uh, regrets over my path before. So uh, just a quick one to go dive straight into uh, what is ASEAN Foundation thing. Uh, that is what most people here are interested about. Uh, we are actually, uh, the, the second slides, please, uh, Noni. Uh, we are actually an ASEAN charter. So ASEAN body, you know, ASEAN charter. And uh, we do, uh, our main focus is actually people-to-people -people connections. Because back in uh, 20 over years ago, where ASEAN is 30 years old, so they have a meeting in Kuala Lumpur, you know, so all the uh, leaders was thinking, you know, there's something lacking in the ASEAN. Uh, things you know what we are do what they are doing is more on policy on the top you know policy strategies and things like that, but something is not right is the connection to the people is lacking, 
So that is how uh, in uh, back in December uh, in, uh, uh, 1997, so they set out ASEAN Foundation. So uh, we, uh, everybody will ask the question, what is ASEAN Secretariat, ASEAN and ASEAN Foundation? Are we reporting under ASEAN uh, Secretariat? No, we didn't. You know, so we are like a brothers and sisters because we have the same parents, which is the 10 ASEAN member states, AMS. So all our bosses, same, secretary has the same boss, 10 bosses, and I have the same boss, 10 bosses. That means I report to uh, 10 board of uh, director members from the 10 ASEAN states members. Huh? So uh, we do, a, if you want to know more, uh, we do a reporting like one year twice. Huh? So uh, very close to, uh, grilling time now in <laughs> December. Okay, so uh, for the, during this COVID time, of course, uh, everything is quite challenging. Eh? I think everybody here cannot deny the challenge, especially NGOs. I think Cameron and Audrey and all that will agree with me. Like, no? uh, the beginning time during March, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, Indonesia is, I was based in Indonesia, by the way, eh? the only office is in Indonesia for us. So, um, Everybody was like still hanging around, hugging each other, and our life is like normal. But when we go to other places, like uh, other country, like Singapore and Malaysia and all that, people is really very scared and aware of COVID-19, you know. But people in Indonesia, is, <laughs> I think they are not scared of it at the early stage, you know. Uh, no doubt, we try to do some early alert, huh? but uh, everyone seems to be like still in the holiday mood, huh? like summer all the time. So nobody cares about masks also. And uh, being, a, being a Malaysian and also very close to uh, uh, Singapore, I think there's a joke say that, you know, we are, we, we are very scared to lose. <laughs> so we always try to be at the front. Right? There is a concept called Kiasu. <laughs> so these are actually a Hokkien, Hokkien uh, Chinese dialects. Uh, so they, we always use it, even uh, in Malaysia, we say you are so Kiasu, means you're so scared to lose. Uh. So we kind we we kind of very fast wanted to do something to be prepared. So I asked my team, "Hey, get the mask." My team looked at me. Kenapa <laughs> ibu? It's like, you know, why we need the mask at this time? You know, so it was a process. Huh? So a uh, different as what Donny said, different culture, different way of dealing with things. Huh? But also, uh, of course, every uh, ASEAN, I think, is much way much resilient when it comes to, you know, uh, adapting ourselves, uh, agile. Huh? So uh, we ASEAN chapter, and then uh, because of all the experience for the past twenty over years, we uh, finally found a niche uh, last few years that we are focusing on youth fifteen to thirty four years old. This is a United Nations, you know, standard uh, standard. Uh, category that uh, everybody is talking about it. So you, if you look at the four pillars on the right, you have uh, four colors. We're focusing on four sectors. Uh, one is art and culture, one is education, and then uh, community development and media. Okay, so, uh, but a lot of people uh, always forgot about uh, art and culture. They always think that we are media. You know, media is part of it. Because uh, media skills, we feel that it is very important right now, more important when everything goes into digital. So if you have come, if you are from the uh, media line, I'm sure that you can adapt very easily, you know, and your skills is most sought after right now. Every company will look for you, you know, even including ourselves, we try, we get, uh, we recruit people also who is very good in social media and media side. 
So uh, if you look at the uh, three uh, box underneath, you say uh, build greater awareness of ASEAN. That is one thing. Awareness of ASEAN means uh, we want to have an identity building, you know, so everyone can feel a sense of belongings and be united. Yeah? So uh, that is the instill ASEAN identity because it's a lot of debate over this. No? For the past few months, uh, there were a few, I mean, that uh, last last month also I went for the uh, Euro European uh, identity and ASEAN identity uh, discussion sessions. You know? There was a, it's, it's quite kind of um, uh, ambiguity, you know, uh, nobody knows exactly what is it about. I mean, you can't touch it, definitely. You know, you can, you know, it is there, ASEAN identity, but you just can't uh, put something exactly, this is ASEAN. Nobody can claim that, oh, ASEAN is my, my, my identity is ASEAN per se, you know, but it is actually everyone's identity is ASEAN. The 10 countries' identity together blend into the port, we call it a melting pot, then it's an ASEAN identity. Okay, so everybody asks me, oh, uh, how, how do you want to recognize that we are ASEAN? I say, whatever you are practicing right now, you're believing in, this is ASEAN. No, because ASEAN is consists of everyone. It's nobody should be outside. You know? So, and then we also want to provide a platform for youth to grow their future ready skills. This is mainly uh, more enhanced. Uh, the importance of it has been stressed more now, but actually it's not nothing new for ASEAN Foundation because I think my predecessor, Elin, Elin Tan, if you already uh, know, know ASEAN Foundation, she has also laid the foundation quite strong uh, because uh, she has uh, started uh, doing uh, ICT, SNT kind of programs uh, uh, since four years ago. So it is nothing really like uh, shocking for us, like uh, a major transition. It's just that we have to strengthen uh, this uh, STI because everything has to use science and technology right now. Even now, using this platform without STI, we where have can we have this kind of technology? To drive you know the sharing platform so this is uh, what we're doing so uh, we go to the activity Donny the next slides I will go for a quick one huh? if you look at the left hand side actually uh, these are some of our programs a uh, flagship program I think if you see AFMAM AFMAM is definitely what everyone is aware of because this is one of the longest program uh, I started uh, more than three to four years ago. And uh, this is the programs that uh, build leadership and empower, empowering the youth. Apart from that, we do have an empowering youth program, which is on the uh, second row. You can see there is actually a partnership with uh, Maybank Foundation. Thanks to them because they really give us a lot of support. And these, uh, uh, you know, we have built uh, very good leaders in the community in each uh, some of the countries participating country uh, and these uh, youth are doing amazing developmental uh, social developmental and volunteering projects no? later if you are interested you can always we can always share with you but this program was put on hold for a while it's supposed to be uh, organized on uh, last june but because the nature of this this is the only programs that we actually put on hold for a while because uh, this is the one that has to be on the ground you have to be in the village you have to be in the rural area the poor people you know the more marginalized group so you can't do it via internet 
because uh, it's already say it's to help the marginalized group. So marginalized sometimes they're lacking on many aspects. You know, so to, for us to launch it, simply launch it, we can do it, but uh, the impact is not going to be there. That's why we also waving, you know, uh, as uh, driving the uh, ASEAN Foundation during this uh, challenging time, uh, we also cannot just want to fulfill uh, our KPI, you know, per se, yeah? like uh, we, we are, we are going to do it, we do it, you know, but we also have to see what is the impact that is bringing to the community. So uh, apart from, uh, uh, but we are lucky enough, we have all our partners now, SAP, Microsoft, USA, everyone is so supportive. We don't have anyone coming to us and say, I want to quit. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to continue with the project or I want my money back. <laughs> you know? So we don't have that. So thank God, you know, so I'm sure that uh, this is the time that we can find who is the real uh, people who care, who is the organization that who really cares, you know? So this is a time that you find friends, you know, and you find uh, people who really mean what they do, you know, all this time. The genuine, genuine city, yeah? you will be tested during this hard time. So ASEAN Data Science Explorer is definitely a uh, future-ready skill. And then we also have future-ready ASEAN. Uh, this is actually a free platform also. There is a competition for data, and uh, for to use the Microsoft Python programs, uh, so to develop uh, solutions and all that. So you can go to futureadyasean.org. This is actually backed by uh, Microsoft. Uh. And then we have uh, ASEAN Science and Technology Fellowship is to build scientists. We already have 67 scientists right now. The scientists uh, have been placed uh, and uh, been uh, given some certain funding so that they can support and uh, advise consultancy to all the local com uh, government, like a Ministry of Science and Technology in their country, respective country. So they will offer their uh, scientific research skills and also consultations to help solve the local issues. So we, we, we just closed that program. It's already completed. Uh, thank God we've managed to fin uh, finish this program as scheduled because earlier we, was, uh, we were quite worried about finishing this because this also require the scientists to be very close to their uh, respondents. Okay, uh, Connect ASEAN is our latest, uh, which is um, uh, arts and culture and fully supported by our Korean government. So thanks to Korean government, uh, ROC, and also we have this program starting from this year for two, two to three years program. So uh, it's a, a platform to share and to exchange knowledge on arts and culture between Korea and Malaysia and sorry, Korean and ASEAN, and also Korean and uh, other uh, partners. So, uh, and uh, of course, right now, because of COVID also, we do have some ad hoc programs, uh, which last for maybe six months to one year, which is recovery, and also some of the projects is actually Feed the Poor. Uh, we call it ASEAN Care. We managed to get uh, some certain funds from uh, United Ways, so uh, they selected first three countries to help, which is Malaysia, uh, Myanmar, and uh, Thailand. So we distribute uh, sanitizing and also food supplies for affected uh, population, uh, affected people uh, in these three countries. So uh, we, we hope that ASEAN Care will continue uh, to care for more after this, because we are opening up for more partnership. Thank you. Okay. I, I pass it back to Donnie here. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Yan. It was a very amazing introduction. Yeah. And we already 
have learned a lot about ASEAN Foundation. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, now we're moving on to um, Cameron, because we know that Cameron was actually an alumni of one of Asian Foundation program as well, right? And also an interning over there. Uh, maybe Cameron, can you, uh, now actually Cameron is leading an organization between Southeast Asia and Australia. Uh, Cameron, would you like to tell us about yourself and also maybe introduce us to ASIP? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Johnny. Um, I'm really quickly introduce myself. Um, my name's Cameron. I'm in my final year of my studies. Fingers crossed I graduate next week after my final exams. And um, yeah, so at the moment I run um, the ASEAN Australia Strategic Youth Partnership, uh, which is a fabulous organisation. Uh, and I suppose my key kind of experience um, working across Southeast Asia and Australia was um, last year, I was the ASEAN fellow for the new Colombo plan. So I spent, um, I spent about 15 months in, in and across Southeast Asian countries. Um, and so that was a really formative experience. And that was kind of where a lot of, um, that's when sort of ASIP started last year. Um, so I thought I'd give a little bit of a background of uh, how ASIP begun. Um, because I feel like the story, for, or we'll start with the first slide, Donnie, thanks. Just leave it here for first, yeah. So um, the thing about ASIP is it was started by a group of young people, right? So often the organisational's founding story is also a personal story. Um, so for me, what inspired me, what was the motivating thing for me to, to get involved in something like ASIP? Well, I feel like it goes, it dates back to sort of when I was growing up. So I grew up in a place in Australia called Newcastle, which is a relatively, well, it's quite a big, big city. It's, it's like a medium sized city. Um, and I was very lucky to attend a really multicultural primary school where all the kids who um, were recently, had recently immigrated to Australia or um, were like refugees that had come to Australia would go to my school because that's where the, uh, there was a really strong English as a second language program. So for me growing up, it was very, very normal to have friends from all over the world. Um, and it was fabulous. I remember spending weekends watching Chinese TV, but not being able to understand a word of it, but that was just kind of how it was. So I, um, I thought throughout my life, a lot of my friends growing up um, came from all these different backgrounds. So when I started at university, I was really excited to study and learn more about um, particularly Asia and particularly Southeast Asia. Um, and so I found myself studying um, Asia-focused courses at university. And then when I got the chance, I was very excited to go on exchange. Um, and so that was what led up to last year where I was um, studying in Jogjakarta at UGM and then at NUS in Singapore um, and starting ASIP. Uh, so for me, I think the key experience I had when I was in Southeast Asia was that I felt like so many of the young Southeast Asians I met had so much in common with so many of my friends back home in Australia. And it just really solidified for me that young people are just really incredible. There was an intense curiosity to get to know each other. There was a willingness, um, like there was always willingness to approach problems collectively and work in teams. Um, there was always unfettered optimism and a desire to learn. Um, and that's what I sort of observed with a lot of my friends from exchange and from when I was in Southeast Asia. And there were so many similarities with 
um, sort of the people I grew up with, but also just like my friends in Australia. And it just made me realize there was so much in common um, with young people across the region, but also um, we have so much to learn from each other because we do grow up in completely different um, cultures and we do have completely different stories to tell. And those stories are really, really important to share. So I was having this really great time and I was thinking to myself, well, I see two problems. First, there isn't a platform for when this experience ends for me to continue my relationships in a really practical and um, collaborative way with my Southeast Asian friends. Um, of course, I've been involved with organisations like um, like AYA before, which are fabulous organisations, but outside of like Indonesia and Vietnam, there wasn't a lot um, going on. And the second issue I had was that when I looked at the international, when I studied international relations, when I looked at the international relations world, I was quite dispirited. Like there was, you know, aid spending in Australia, like spending on development is at its lowest point in history. Um, multilateral organisations are struggling. Um, Asian language education in Australia is becoming less popular. And so for me, I just saw all of these issues uh, and I was like, well, I feel like the world needs is more young people with their really fresh and optimistic ideas because I feel like these are the issues that we can tackle. So we can jump to the next slide. Thanks, Donnie. So then we've, myself and some friends put together this organisation called ASIP. And so what we say on the website and stuff like that is ASIP contributes to building a peaceful region by connecting young Australians and Southeast Asians and giving them the skills and environment to collaborate effectively. But sometimes that, that sounds a little bit like government speak. It might be a little bit confusing. Like, what does that actually mean? For me, what it means is having mates across the region is just a great thing. And for, so for me, I always say that ASIP, and I suppose lots of youth organisations are about putting the real relationships in international relations. Um, so I think it's a win because you get to learn about things different to yourself and about different ways of thinking. You get new perspectives and new people to collaborate with. And it also helps countries in times of conflict and in times of fear. If people know each other across countries, that is so important. And I'll give a really quick example. When I was living in Indonesia, there was the horrific, horrific um, um, shooting in New Zealand um, where quite a few Indonesians um, were hurt. Um, but also there was a lot of conversation with my friends being like, oh my God, I didn't realise, you know, Australians had such um, terrible um, attitudes towards things like Islam. And it was really important and helpful for me to be to talk to my friends and say, no, this isn't what Australian, this is not what an average Australian is like. This is not the kind of society I live in. And those personal relationships gave me the opportunity to put things in perspective and to sort of explain, no, this wasn't the, the not all Australians think like this. Um, so I think, yeah, individual personal relationships are really powerful. We'll jump to the next slide. Thanks, Donnie. I'll be really quick. I have a tendency to keep talking. So how do we actually do that is, I think, is the question. Um, so we do a few things and we're still trying to find our feet because we're only two years old. Um, so the first thing we try to do is create spaces for young Australians and Southeast Asians to meet each other. So, for example, we run lots of social events um, in person and online through our hubs and through our digital events program. Secondly, we create opportunities for young people to upskill and collaborate. 
So for example, we have our ASIP reset competition, which um, Dr. Yang will be judging tomorrow, which is very exciting <laughs> on a Saturday. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, thirdly, we elevate youth perspectives and, and inject youth perspectives into like popular discourse by having a blog and by publishing a yearly book with youth perspectives. Fourth, we um, try to foster a generation of leaders with a regional mindset. So we have our annual ASEAN Australia Young Leaders Forum. And finally, we try to encourage young people to get involved and to have their voices heard in policy and in international relations, um, which is, for example, we ran an Indo-Pacific Student Mobility Youth Dialogue this year about student mobility and how students can have a bigger role in, in talking about that policy. Thanks, Donnie. Next slide. I might be able to skip. We can come back to this later if you'd prefer. Um, um, I think that's great, cool. I guess. Yeah. Uh, are this your team in this? These are, these are some of our team members. I just pulled, as you all, I'm sure, have at the moment. We just have Zoom meetings after Zoom meetings every single day. So these are just some of the screenshots. Um, but I think that the key point to emphasise here is that before COVID, we were completely an online team already. And I'm sure other people here can relate to that. When you're working in regional teams, you have to be able to work online. So for us, obviously COVID is a terrible situation for a lot of people and definitely don't want to downplay that. But for us, um, in terms of how we operate, it didn't have a huge impact on us because we, we act like this anyway. So there was a few silver linings in COVID in that it played to the strength of young people. We are the people that like know these platforms. We're creative and pretty adaptable and we kind of happy to just sticky tape it together and figure it out. So I think um, in a lot of ways, yeah, that made it easier. Okay. Okay. I totally can relate to all of your stories, Cameron, <laughs> especially watching Chinese TV shows when in my childhood. I had that as well, actually. Okay. Next one. We do have... Julie Binu, Hi. representing Love Frankie. Hi, Julie. Hi. So, Julie representing private sectors that relies on youth movements and active participation, especially in creating social change. So, Julie, tell us a bit about your background and how Love Frankie engaged with youth-led movements in the region. Okay. So, uh, first of all, I would like to say thank you to Kosindi for having me on this panel. Uh, and then uh, just a quick intro about myself. Uh, I'm Julie, I'm the program manager at Law Frankie and I'm based in Jakarta. I was working for MTV before I joined MTV Exit, uh, the campaign about human trafficking and exploitation. And that's where I met Donnie back in 20, uh, 20, 2010, I think. And then uh, I start my career on the social campaign awareness. Uh, yeah. Um, Continue to the next slide, Tony, please. Thank you. Okay, so uh, La Frankie is a social uh, change uh, agency based in Bangkok and uh, that design and implements innovative research and communication, communication addressing in social issues across Asia, such as head speech, misinformation, disinformation, hoax, disforestation, human trafficking, intolerance, and discrimination, and also media and digital literacy and other social issues uh, on the region. Uh, next slide, please. 
Love Frankie was established in uh, 2014. During the last six years, we already conducted projects in Asia Pacific region, including Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, Myanmar, uh, the Philippines, Singapore, uh, Vietnam, Australia, New Zealand, India, and other several Pacific Island nations. Next slide. Uh, we work with a wide range of clients from private sector such as Facebook uh, and Google, world organizations such as United Nations, NIOM, and CSOs uh, such as Greenpeace, Oxfam, and Save the Children. Uh, last slide, please, Domi. Uh, our general approach uh, when building broader campaign is we always identify the problem first. We help identify where the strengths and gaps in capacity or support may be, and then highlighting uh, where we can add value or where other supports may be needed. Uh, we employ a diverse range of methodologies, including big data analysis, social listening, in-depth interviews, focus group discussion, and online communities to inform program design, community, uh, sorry, communication strategies, and to evaluate the impact. So that's a glance about Love Frankie. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's great. That's very quick. But I think we're going to dig more a bit about Love Frankie as well in some of the, some of questions I already kind of like uh, pulled in. And I can't wait to go on deeper with the conversation that we're going to have, actually. Thank you very much for the three of the panelists introducing themselves and the organization that they are representing. Um, I wish I'm a... I'm an 18 years old youth that have the fire and ambition once again to be able to participate in all of this amazing opportunity, but hey, I'm not 10 years late. <laughs> okay, um, let's begin with the conversation. Actually, I have uh, several questions first that I want to ask uh, about the importance of uh, digital mobility in your organizations, because we already talk about, like Cameron already mentioned about how their team already starting as a kind of like a virtual uh, connections before. Dr. Yang also mentioned the importance of digital presence and, and, and kind of like engagement in the virtual world. And Julie just talked about it, that the way Law Frankie work as well is actually targeting uh, youth populations that kind of like live in a virtual world as now we have two worlds that we have to live in me and myself, I have to have two, maybe two different identities, like in a real life identity and online identity. But in terms of your organizations and how you work, I'm gonna ask first to Dr. Yang and then the, uh, the others can follow with quite similar question. Uh, what are the priorities set by your organizations in terms of uh, building youth, a better youth or young professional engagement across Southeast Asia, and or Australia uh, during this unprecedented time. You already mentioned a little bit about how you engage with or how you adapt with the impact of COVID a little bit, but I think I wanna know more on kind of like how your organizations kind of like try to engage with these young populations now. Um, uh, thanks, Tony. Um, actually, uh, for, for now, actually I did have the PPT that I sent you, but I, I won't ask for it because I, I can also refer to my own copy. Uh, we do recognize there are some challenges in the 21st century right now. So uh, during actually some of the issues, it's not really like 
born with COVID-19. I mean, a lot of people will be uh, trying to blame COVID-19 for everything, but I just think that it's a little bit unfair. Some of the things has been carried on from those days. Huh? For instance, like discriminations, you know, it happens before, you know, poverty, you know, lack of resources. But uh, there are two things definitely that we look into is uh, unemployment rates and also future-ready skills. Because uh, this tool, I think, for the youth uh, to prepare them, you know, for uh, some, some sort of like a knowledge and also a platform for them to be able to learn something uh, extra. Because uh, now uh, the competitions uh, in the labor market is very strong. I mean, that for youth that who just graduated, for those that have not graduated, it's worse, okay? For those that who is going to graduate and... Um, they will find it to be challenging because the market is flooded with very talented people who lost their jobs. So how do you want to stand out among all those people with more experience than you? You know, they might have the same foundation as you, same discipline, same degree, you know, but uh, they have a working experience maybe three or four years, you know, before they lost the jobs. It's easy for them to jump to another job especially when ASEAN uh, sectorate do a research uh, on the impact uh, jobs losing is uh, the definitely number one impact. That's why the, there's a lot of economic recovery plans being put uh, forward, you know. There's a lot of discussions, very serious discussions about how to revive the economy. Because uh, one sectors are very badly affected is tourism and traveling, you know, entertainment. So this, these two sectors actually... Uh, uh, we are in a discussion with one of our partners now for the new program is to do business mat uh, to, to do a job matching after enhancing skills. We will reskill upskill uh, the, the youth who wants to join the program and also there is a group of uh, maybe non-youth we might also consider for participations of the upskill and reskill because I think that sometimes uh, uh, we, if we disregard 35 years above, uh, this group also is uh, quite in need of support because they have, some of them might have a mortgage, you know, more issues uh, because youth might actually still stay with the parents and all that. You know, I mean that uh, maybe for Cameron is not the case, but uh, in ASEAN, ASEAN community, uh, we stay with our parents as long as we can. You know? So, uh, as much as we can, uh, we will come to our parents and sometimes we have, even after marriage, we still stay with our parents, you know. So, <laughs> I think, I don't know about Donnie and Julie, I think so. Eh? so if you are the son, eh? we will continue staying with our parents and they will be our uh, care, under our care, you know. So, these are the uh, structures of the social structures of uh, ASEAN. So, uh, for us, it's like... Uh, uh, getting them jobs, matching the jobs, because sometimes the jobs are there, but it's just that they couldn't match, you know, there's no platform to match. And most of the platforms sometimes have to pay for it. I, I don't mention who, you know, that you all would know. Eh? So some of the bosses need to actually uh, pay for certain fee, like one or two months for the agency to recruit you and all that, you know. So we are trying to uh, come out from that kind of model. We wanted to do it free. And then, of course, we believe in partnerships and because uh, we, uh, at this moment, partnership is the key you know, for any, anything because we can't even go to each of the countries already and do our programs. So what we rely on is CSO, 
and uh, social enterprise uh, SE. You know, so we do have uh, strengthened our uh, social CSO network and alumni network because uh, we build alumni organizations uh, for these uh, leaders of the uh, youth uh, in each country, so they will be able to connect to the uh, community. So these are the things that we are looking at right now. That sounds very interesting. And I must say, thankfully, I left my, my house before, <laughs> before I reached my 25. So it's actually a good, a good feeling. I totally understand <laughs> that kind of point yeah. as well. <laughs> no, man, your parents ask you, when are you going to find jobs? <laughs> they are not going to think about COVID. Because of COVID, you can't find jobs. You know? But uh, there's uh, new issues now in Malaysia. I mean, that uh, we just received some news that uh, many poor students drop out from school right now, mm. from college and university, because they just couldn't sustain anymore. You know, they just couldn't pay for the scholar, uh, for the fees. You know, for the and then so many of them. So uh, maybe I think each of the AMS uh, have to come out, ASEAN member states uh, have to think about how to help these uh, youth to equip themselves fully. Equip themselves means that finish their study at least get their certificates and degree. Yeah? That is uh, one part that we need to look yeah. into. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. That's this also like follows on what Love Frankie have been doing as well, engage with education and also alleviating kind of like um, social engagement for youth, right, Julie? Can you also respond to the question on like how Love Frankie itself built kind of like um, set up priorities that Lafranchi created this year as well? Yeah, so I think the youth in Indonesia, Australia, or other countries across Asia Pacific really passionate to engage with social issues. So the desire to learn new things uh, that can open their minds is very strong, especially those related to social issues in their environment and education. One of our projects in Indonesia is Tular Nara. Uh, Tular, Nara Tular Nalar is a good example. In English, Tular Nalar means infecting other people with common sense. The program is initiated by Law Frankie, Ma'arif Institute. Uh, Ma'arif Institute is an organization focusing on intolerance, violence, uh, and extremism. And Mafindo, an organization focusing on fighting misinformation and disinformation, and supported by Google.org. So Tular Nalar is a campaign that aims to provide education about digital and media literacy for students and educators through online platform to answer the problems we're facing during this pandemic. So as we know in Indonesia, the current uh, option for lecturers to, uh, to transfer knowledge to, uh, and skill to the students is limited to old-fashioned classroom settings, uh, which has become an obsolete option at this time. And we're not ready uh, with the sudden changes. So uh, to support lecturers to perform learning from home during this pandemic with their students, we create an innovative online learning platform accessible for everyone who wants to learn about media and digital literacy. So why are we pivoting to media and digital literacy? So during the pandemic, Indonesia government discovered more than 500 hoaxes about COVID-19 on the internet. And based on the data provided by Indonesia Internet Service Provider Association in 2018, 91% of internet penetration dominated by youth between the age of 15 to 19 years old. Uh, the internet penetration and also social media consumption 
is increasing, but the level of digital literacy among the population remains relatively low. So to keep up with the growth of the internet consumption, digital literacy education is required. Then uh, uh, with this program, we're targeting more than 5,000 educators and 60,000 university students to engage on this program. Uh, this is still small amount comparing to the total university student in Indonesia, which is more than 280,000 students just from public university. It's not, it's not including the private university. Yeah? So how we broaden our audience, how we reach them, we collaborate with the government through the Ministry of Education. So with this collaboration, our media and digital literacy curriculum will be part of Ministry of Education Management Learning System uh, for university students that can be accessed by 1 million students in 2021. And I think another good example for, uh, from one of our projects uh, engaging the youth is uh, DG Engage in Australia. So uh, DG Engage is hosted by Digital Industry Group uh, DG and was supported by Department of Home Affairs and Australian Government. Uh, this year, DG Engage was moved to online uh, or virtual space because of the pandemic. And uh, for this year, we're focusing on countering hate speech and extremism because as we know that the climate of fear surrounding COVID-19 has increased, uh, racism and xenophobia particularly against Chinese and Asia Australians and has the potential to increase intensified risk factor for extremism uh, because of isolation and uh, anti-globalist uh, anti sentiment. So uh, at that program, we're empowering 80 young influencers and change makers uh, with the knowledge, skill, and uh, confidence to counter fear, uh, hate speech, and racism during COVID-19 and beyond, and to increase their resilience through skills building creative, uh, on creative ideation, tools, and best practice so they can put into practice and share with their networks. So the last program that I want to uh, uh, convey uh, on this panel is uh, the YouTube Creators for Change. Uh, so this, uh, this year, YouTube Creators for Change partnering with uh, UNDP and European uh, Union to support the program nationally and regionally. Uh, the program aims to demonstrate uh, the global power of video to address social issues in relevant and creative ways. We were engaging uh, 13 uh, YouTube creators contents uh, from Australia, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Philippines uh, to create video about social issues to spark positive conversation on their channels. So uh, every country has different issues to focus on. For example, in Indonesia, we were focusing on uh, gender-based violence, hate speech, extremism, cyberbullying, and in Australia itself, we're focusing on the issue of race and religion-based hate speech. The main challenges that we found during the program was the creator didn't have the same level of production knowledge. So it was very helpful for them to connect with not only the social issue expert for a deep dive discussion on the related issue, but also create uh, creative mentoring to give them the skill they need to produce good quality content. Uh, from this program, uh, we produced uh, 15 videos and gained 7.3 million views as of July 2020. Uh, so I think uh, this one also is a good example to stay connected with the youth through the video on the platform they watch the most now, while we are con uh, trying to convey uh, the positive social message at the same time. 
because uh, we believe that one view can create a change. Then uh, I think <laughs> so. All of the uh, all of the program that we did uh, that I explained were actually focusing on the youth capacity building to increase their knowledge in media and digital literacy, and then to increase their skill on creative ideation and to counter negative content on the internet. And the last one is to build self resilience through intolerance and discrimination. Thanks, Tony. Wow, that's. Thank you very much for sharing, Julie. That's kind of like an amazing activities. Although it's very heavy, I can understand how heavy all of the topics will be, but kind of like, you know, trying to make it very engaging. I'm sure it's a hard work to do. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. How about you, Cameron, as, um, as a leading uh, youth community? Because uh, Dr. Yang and Julie have mentioned about the programs that they have and then kind of like using youth as the beneficiaries or kind of like their collaborative uh, partners, but us as kind of like young organizations and we work with young people, with our friends. Uh, how, about, how, about, how, about, how about ASIP? What sort of like priorities that ASIP have to build, you know, a strong relationship and engagement between Southeast Asia and Australia? Yeah, I suppose when I thought about this question, I thought about like what, how have we responded to this year and how has it changed how we engage with, with young people and what are, the, what are the opportunities from that and what are the, the challenges? So I think, as I was saying before, moving online for a lot of people has been really challenging um, and that particularly is challenging with people, you know, that don't necessarily have like great internet connections and disproportionately impacts people that don't live in cities and stuff like that, right? But on the whole, young people are really competent and capable when it comes to using these platforms, which means that in a lot of ways, the, this year hasn't affected us as it may have affected other parts of the population when it comes to engaging with technology. So, of course, the first thing that ASIP did this year was move anything that we had planned in person online. So the ASEAN Australia Young Leaders Forum, which we typically run as an annual in-person conference, we postponed um, We postponed it till next year. We don't even know if it will happen next year because we don't want to run it unless everyone can come um, from all 10 ASEAN countries. So, yeah, I think moving online has been a really interesting challenge. I think in some senses, it really increases inclusion. Something that is a massive problem when it comes to like international relations and diplomacy is it's very exclusive. Only certain amount of people get invited to these roundtables or track two dialogues. And being able to do things online has meant you've seen so many webinars and conferences and things that would typically be expensive to attend. You'd have to fly there and be there in person a lot of those opportunities are going online, which I think has been really valuable for, for young people because you've been able to access content that you wouldn't have been able to access before. On top of that, everyone is on their computers now, which I found really useful because it means when I email someone or LinkedIn message someone, you're way more likely to get a reply. So I found like the distance between young people and like, like people at the height of their careers, that distance has been reduced because um, everyone has been forced to be on their computers. People aren't traveling, people aren't doing commuting and stuff. So people have more time to reply, which I think has been really positive for us. So I think in one sense, moving online has had those kind of opportunities, but obviously the challenges and the thing that we, the big sort of thing we're trying to understand is 
there is just, you can only build a relationship so far online. And that's kind of the perspective of a lot of our volunteers at ASIP. You can do a good job getting to know someone, but there's something about in-person conversation and, and you know, that one-on-one non-crong <laughs> that's like so important for developing and fostering interpersonal relationships. So I think we definitely are keen to get back to people to like in-person events, because I think that's where the magic really happens. Also like, time differences between Australia and Southeast Asia with daylight savings getting further apart. I'm often have my meetings at 10 PM, which is 6 PM in Vietnam. Right. So things like that are, are definitely the challenges. So I think moving online is, is obviously one of our priorities in terms of digital engagement. Secondly, I think a big um, focus of many youth organizations has been um, strengthening the communities they have rather than trying to build new audiences. So for example, a lot of youth organizations have been focusing on engaging alumni um, because they have had those interpersonal experiences. So rather than trying to create new communities, you're consolidating the communities you have. So we've seen a lot of sort of investment in alumni engagement. Um, And the final thing I'd say is I think um, because everything's been online, it's really forced ASIP and I'm sure other organizations to really grapple with the differences between different audiences. So obviously ASEAN Foundation, ASIP, Hello Frankie, we work across like so many different audiences, not only Australia and Indonesia, but like all the audiences within Indonesia and all the audiences in Australia and Myanmar. So I think um, it's given us some time that we would typically put into like logistics and in-person events to really think about what works for different audiences, playing with our different social platforms to try and engage people um, and be really innovative with our programming. Because I think everyone kind of gets a free pass this year. If you kind of, if you try something and fail this year, I think everyone kind of gets it. So you might as well just go. And so we've just done lots of Lots of really random things, but they've worked really well. So you'll be yeah. for, forgiven, right? <laughs> yeah, <it's not laughs> yeah. The ASEAN gods will forgive me. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's kind of yeah. our priorities, I think. Yeah, thank you, Cam. It's it's very very great. Um, I think relating to that, you already mentioned about challenges. I think I want to know more when we're talking about Asia, Southeast Asia, or ASEAN and Australia identity and differences and how rich our cultural differences is. Although sometimes I feel like whenever, when I'm in Australia, I feel like whenever I meet my fellow Southeast Asian, we instantly feel kind of like connected and engaged. Like, but then whenever I'm go back to Indonesia, I feel like there's differences between me and Philippines, someone from the Philippines or someone from the Vietnam as well. So I want to talk more on kind of like a positive note in terms of like what we can do as a young person post-COVID, I think next year will be like everyone will start fresh. So, and also knowing that our, our audiences kind of like coming from a diverse backgrounds and maybe identities and characters as well, uh, based on your exper- expertise, opinion and experience with your organization in building kind of like relationship in Southeast Asia and Australia youths, what, what are the new leadership pathways that you may have found promising post-COVID? I, I think I'm gonna start with uh, Julie, cause I think Julie have a lot of programs that she mentioned and what sort of 
things that your a love Frankie is looking for for from from you know youth across Southeast Asia and Australia, Julie. Yeah, so uh, basically uh, the learning point, yeah, the learning point when we encounter that uh, uh, while trying to create an approach engagement during the COVID. Uh, oh, is, it's uh, sorry, it's it's more on like uh, the like the new leadership pathway. So kind of like what sort of things that uh, young people need to have right now to be mm -hmm. able to engage actively. Oh. Yeah, it's yeah. actually the last yeah. question. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. I think a good youth leader is someone who know himself. Uh, he knows his strengths and weaknesses, uh, and then he understand how to use the strengths, uh, but also understand how to do with the weaknesses. So, uh, and I think the youth leader also needs to have the integrity. Uh, so, uh, so for example, so uh, his team members can trust and rely on him, and with this integrity, the team member can freely communicate with him, and he also have the to values everyone, especially on their own teams. And as I mentioned earlier, that a good leader is someone who knows himself. So uh, he will also realize that all members uh, of all the teams uh, have the weaknesses and also the strengths. Uh, that able to take advantage of the strengths uh, of uh, his team members to complement the weaknesses of other team members. Yeah, I think that's the good leaders, uh, youth leader is. That's actually great. Very philosophical as well. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> Dr. Yang, how are you? What do you think? Today, I wanted to share one slide, number seven, if you still have it. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, I did, I, I did yeah, map out something, but uh, for, the for the leadership, because we have always been in the leadership programs, uh, our empowering youth, uh, uh, especially on the uh, ASEAN Foundation Model ASEAN meeting, uh, already two years continuously we engage with uh, Australian students. Uh, so uh, it's a plus uh, plus one with the dialogue uh, partners. So uh, the youth uh, has been given opportunity to mingle Australians and ASEAN. So uh, if, like what Donnie mentioned just now, uh, who are these uh, differences between the ASEAN youth themselves? Uh, we can see quite clearly in uh, organization who deal with them. So there are some youths uh, from certain countries that are more outspoken and more confident because of the command of their language, uh, English as the uh, uh, carrier language. Uh, for instance, like uh, if you are speaking about uh, Singapore, Malaysia, and uh, especially uh, from Indonesia and also from um, Philippines, uh, I mean, amazing uh, uh, speaking skills. Huh? And now, of course, I found that Myanmar is also amazing. The way they, uh, you know, articulate, very articulate when they presented their ideas and pitch and then drive the projects and all that. Because uh, under the uh, ASEAN Foundation Model ASEAN Meeting, AFMAM, uh, they have the role play. Uh, all the youth been given a role play uh, to become the Ministry of uh, health, Ministry of Culture, Ministry. Not everybody has a role play. So they felt they can have a feel like, how is it at the driving seat? You know? 
what are you going to do when you are given the opportunity to be at the driving seat? All of them amazingly coming up with fantastic uh, strategy, policy recommendations. So all this compilation of policies and recommendations are not going to waste because we actually compile it and share it with the secretariat side as well. So sometimes uh, certain ideas will be like, adopted, you know, and then also certain ideas will be expanded. But we also like uh, to add on, we uh, love Panky. Uh, I mean, Julie mentioned about video uh, contest. We have uh, two video contests. One is ASEAN uh, Social Journalism Contest and one is ASEAN Video Contest. So uh, also every time is uh, different kinds of uh, latest um, uh, topics. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, last year was like on environmental and then uh, also on uh, marginalized inclusiveness and all that, you know, social, social issues and all that. So youth are practically being given a lot of opportunity to test out their leadership skills. And then uh, here we do some compilation and also on social media, uh, which one that uh, you also did mention, Donnie, on which one works and which one doesn't work. Huh? Certain country might be more into certain platform. But uh, from, our, from our experience, the biggest platform is definitely uh, Instagram and also Facebook. Okay, these are the two uh, social media that we found that the impact is pretty good. And some of our program reach all the way to 1,000 audience per each time, you know. So we easily can get 1,000 audience with just blessing to this few social media platform. So uh, for me, it's the new, new concept that I want to just show is uh, become an autodidact, an auto-learner, you know, to self-learn, self-learn, uh, self self-thoughts, you know. Because uh, as what, uh, to add on to what Cameron mentions, that um, for young people, it's very easy, okay? The one that is complaining is actually for a generation like myself, or a generation like 40 above, that have to adapt to the new system, okay? So for us, it's like the creation of new norms is also uh, from people like my, my group of age, you know? And then also, during this time also, it is a good time to catch anyone that you cannot catch before, as what Cameron has mentioned. That's why in during this time also, our programs, we do a lot of interactive um, uh, communication between our member states, you know, our, our bosses, all our ambassadors. So we do have alumni sessions with the uh, ambassadors. So we do have one or two programs designed specially for the ASEAN News, to have an up close, you know, with the ambassadors and ask them any questions that you want. And we receive a lot of um, uh, internship requests also. <laughs> I'm not sure if Julie has that, uh, but I think uh, we, during this uh, few months, uh, since March until now, we have about, third, uh, almost close to 35 interns uh, uh, doing internship with us online. So uh, they, I mean, they, oh, most of them needs to fulfill the requirement to graduate and all that, huh? because you need to do your internship. But I think most of them really enjoy it because we use their skill to really run and help us with the social media platform. And then the young people are amazing. They know what to do. Even our TikTok, we started our TikTok. So uh, we are TikToking right now, ASEAN Foundation, with the youth helping us to set up the TikTok story, you know. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward for more of this group uh, now that we are talking. Please do, I mean, that uh, come and participate in the TikTok with ASEAN Foundation also because you can reach with 10 countries uh, youth.
you know, they really watch it. They actually follow it. Huh? So, uh, so we wanted to actually inform uh, to uh, give some motivation to all that to be self-motivated learners. Uh, don't be uh, lazy. Don't feel that. Uh, uh, oh, I'm just waiting for the vaccine to come. So I'm not going to do anything right now. You know, so there are some people have this kind of mentality, like uh, you know, uh, nothing I can do. But it's quite. Uh, the, the limit is the sky is the limit, you know. You might not be able to travel, but there are other things online that people are doing now so well. There are so many business, you know, uh, even restaurant, uh, I mean the artisan's restaurant, uh, crafted food, you know, they do they do online deliveries and all that. They created new recipes and all that. I mean, of course, during this time, a lot of uh, many chefs is born, <laughs> a new chef is born in this time. I mean, everybody cooks at home. But uh, I think there is a lot of opportunity if you know how to really look at, into it, look at it, you know. So self-thought and engage with the virtual world. Don't stay alone and uh, don't try to be, you know, spending your own time on it. Just reach out, talk to friends, you know, even can have dinner, lunch with friends also online, you know, get your food on the desk, you know. And then uh, we also have many, uh, sometimes we do have activities like uh, asking the youth, you know, what are you cooking? You know, what is your best outfit of your cultural outfit? You know, so they do send in their video sometimes. So we just have a quick edit, you know, and then share with the rest. You know, there's pretty quite much quite interesting. So find and share new knowledge. Be open to other perspective because uh, this is what we uh, would like to recommend. Be flexible and adaptable because uh, this is the time that you can uh, uh, com communicate with everybody. Anytime, because there's no excuse not to reply, eh? because everybody is almost 24 hours on the screen, you know. So this is actually quite a good opportunity for that. And I think for young people, uh, you won't have the issues. So I back to Donny. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Yang. It's so good. Um, to That's a very nice advice as well. Yes. I think with Cameron, I would like to give you a different question in a way. There's a, there's a question... Uh, given in the Q&A by Lachlan. This is also related to like, you know, the quality of young leaders that we need to have right now as well as a young person ourselves. So uh, Lachlan uh, asked a question, a big name in Indonesian politics this week criticized Indonesian millennia, millennials limit, uh, limit oh, sorry, criticized Indonesian millennials limited contribution to society. So what is on your thoughts on the practical positive impact of Southeast Asia and Australia youth pursuing societal change when there's a lot of people kind of like undermining us? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think the first thing is to say is that young people are often at the forefront of all social movements or play a very important role in a lot of social movements, um, particularly in Southeast Asia. Um, there are many, many examples of um, young people being the leaders in those movements. And so I think it's very common for political leaders to, to find people that they can bash in the media, um, often for their own political gain. Um, and young people are really easy people to bash because um, they don't have a voice. They're hugely unrepresented in like, positions of power, in politics, in the media. Um, there was some research that came out in Australia this week that 59% um, of times that young people were mentioned in the media uh, in a story, 
young people weren't interviewed or weren't um, quoted. So when young people are talked about, often young people aren't the, involved in setting their own narratives. So I think that's the first point I would make. I would say that young people always always doing things. The second point I would make is that um, often young people doing all this extra work for free, that, you know, all of these, you know, Core Cindy, ASIP, all these things are amazing organisations and they run on the back of um, young volunteers. And so I think it's very astounding to say that young people don't do things when in fact they are doing everything for free. <laughs> so um, in that sense, um, again, I would say that those kind of allegations are a bit silly. And I know we've moved past this point, but I really wanted to quickly touch on the, the, the previous question about what should young people do to foster leadership skills to be those sort of change makers. Um, I think I have so many thoughts on this. And I'll be really quick. I think the first thing is you need to nurture creativity and you need to you need to nurture your creativity. I think it's we live in a world where it's so common to graduate if you go to university, for example, and then start in a career and you start at the bottom of a hierarchy and then you just don't foster your creativity over time. And so if you want to be creative, join an organization like ASIP or Course Indie or something like that where you have creativity and the ability to set your own programs because that kind of stuff you learn so many skills so many soft skills and i remember a colleague of mine at ASIP recently got a job and the reason she got it was because she had experience talking with government because we have to talk with government for grant applications has experience running programs and you don't get that kind of experience you know in a graduate role you get that experience doing these kind of volunteer stuff so i think in terms of leadership i think you should nurture your creativity by joining youth organisations that give you that opportunity. Secondly, I think you need to develop your soft skills um, working in with people with different backgrounds. I think um, particularly people interested in international relations. Um, again, what I like, like, Australians particularly, we think that we are like, often Australians approach the world thinking we're neutral, that we're culturally neutral and that we don't have any culture. What is Australian culture? Like you ask an Australian what Australian culture is, they can't really give you a clear answer. And as a result, a lot of Australians think that they are just like neutral and then like Southeast Asia is different and cultural and like those kind of words. When in fact, Australians having a lot of culture, they just don't um, un wrestle with the assumptions that we make every day and how we communicate and how we make decisions and how we work in teams. So I think it would be really useful for Australians particularly. Um, and also for, for, for example, a lot of my Indonesian friends, it's been very useful for them to work with Australians because working in different teams lets you think in different ways and learn different skills. And so how can you do that? Again, youth organisations, but also smaller things like at campuses in Australia and in, in Southeast Asian countries, international students have a really hard time making friends. When I was in exchange, it was so hard to make friends. And when, you know, there's so many international students, I'm sure Donnie has stories about this. It's so hard to make friends. If you just go talk to some international students, that's a really great way you can foster those skills. Um, and it's so simple. It's as simple as having a conversation with someone. Um, I also encourage people, you know, learn Asian languages at university, or if you get the opportunity, apply for one of the ASEAN Foundation or ASIP programs, which allows you to travel and do things like AFMAM, where you get to work with other people. Um, I think that's so important um, for the future in terms of um, as companies become more globalised, having those intercultural skills is so, so essential. Um, and the final thing I'll note, I know 
again, talking too much, is I wouldn't underplay the value of networking. And that sounds like a gross thing to say because I hate to think that the world is nepotistic <laughs> and I hate to think that, you know, we, we're always told, particularly in Australia, the world is a meritocracy and that, you know, that the best people will be selected. From my experience, that's just not necessarily the case. And as Dr. Yang was saying before, the labour market is so competitive. You've got to get yourself out there. And I think the way to do that is to take risks and do exciting projects. And I think that like things like ASIP are a great opportunity. Things like Course Cindy, where you're getting to run things, they're the things that make you stand out as a young person. So I think, um, and they also give you the networks to be able to leverage it to find um, opportunities. So definitely network. And I would get onto it soon because once this pandemic ends, people are going to be back to their normal lives. We'll not have time to reply to your emails. So send those emails, send those LinkedIn requests, get chatting to people because now is the time to do it. It is indeed now the time to do it. Thank you, Cameron, to wrap things up. I think we don't have enough time to answer all of the questions from the Q&A. Although there was a very good questions and you answered perfectly as well, Cam. Um, I think to wrap up, because we have around two more minutes, um, if, I'm not sure if Cameron should share his TikTok account, but <laughs> um, maybe, Dr. Yang, Julie, and also Cameron, can you type down in the chat section on the links that the future program that our audiences can engage with? Maybe is, is there any like openings or competition that are about to begin or maybe kind of like applications that need to be filled out to be part of Asian Foundations program or uh, AC program? And also, Julie, if you have any campaigns that you want us to engage with, please uh use the chat sections to share it mm. we'll go first <laughs> i go first <laughs> okay right okay, uh, go ahead okay yeah. yeah johnny thank you for giving us the opportunity to publicize promotion huh? uh, okay we do have uh you can follow asian foundations uh facebook you can uh you know be our followers because we always advertise our programs there and then also in the link it and also in uh, our website, of course, uh, ASEANfoundation.org. So we do have uh, one coming, which is the video uh, uh, video contest. Uh, supported, also collaborated with uh, Prospect and USA, and also Ireland Embassy, Embassy. You know, it's very kind of them. They they come and approach us, and they wanted to partner. So uh, just uh, this time, I think is about COVID nineteen and the youth. So it's really about you, you know? So I'm sure you can come up with some interesting story. And uh, I, I'm looking forward uh, for the inspiring story and uh, not only the sad one, <laughs> okay? Because video can be a very strong weapon, uh, instrument uh, to achieve something positive. At this moment, we, we need that, okay? So uh, that's all. And then our, our internship always open. But of course, uh, there is an issue always, I think Cameron, about payment. So as what Cameron says, sometimes just get the opportunity to do it first. Huh? Since now it's online, so you don't have to move yourself to Jakarta because Jakarta, one thing, is the most expensive city in the world. So I think, huh? I think, huh, Julie, huh? your, your mic is off, Julie. It's very expensive. I used to thought Jakarta yeah. is very cheap. 
Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, I <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, so now at least you can do it at your comfort of your home. So we, we have students as far as Spain huh? and Japan and China also. Yeah. So just do it. Why other, other students in other countries can do it? And some of the students in Spain, they have to wake up to have a meeting with us 4 a.m. their time. So I really appreciate them, okay? So do it and uh, come and join us, okay? Thank you so much. I'll pass it back to Donny. Thank you, Dr. Yang. Yeah. Uh, Julie or Cameron, do you wanna? Right, Cameron already jot down uh, the next opportunity from ASIP. Thank you. How about Julie? Okay. Yeah, so. Julie, do you have uh, anything to share? Yeah, our next program is Tular Nalar. So basically, uh, we're going to have an interactive online website for everyone to learn about media and digital literacy. But unfortunately, the website just going to be launched on January 2021. So it's still <laughs> under development. <laughs> it's still under development, but you can always uh, follow uh, the Instagram account of our company, which is Lofrankiko. I'm going to write down on the chat. And then you can get an uh, update of our new uh, latest this uh, program uh, in every country uh, uh, on that uh, Instagram account. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just let me budge in. Uh, Julie, uh, Ibu Julie, let's partner and see if we work oh, okay. <laughs> We like a program. <laughs> Later we will be in touch. Okay? Yeah, maybe right, we can right. have an offline meeting after this. <laughs> yes, after this, okay? Thank you. Cameron, any last bits? No, I would just say the best way to keep on top of these organizations is to follow the social medias because there are always opportunities always happening. Um, so like I've mentioned, we have got two things happening at the moment. So you can submit an abstract to our ASEAN Australia review, which is a book. Um, and so you, all you have to do is submit 150 words of what you want to write. And then over November, December, January, you can write your 3000 word submission. So it's only, a, it's a very, low-hanging fruit in terms of entry so you can there's abstracts open at the moment and then secondly we're running a really cool um, modern slavery project um, over online between january and march um, where p young people that work or are interested in modern slavery um, human trafficking or forced labor get to learn from like leaders in the region and collaborate so then you've got like a strong network of um collaborators uh so those applications are on monday that's amazing i used to work with julie around human trafficking issues in the past so <laughs> right. okay so thank you very very much on behalf of course cindy uh dr yang cameron and julie it's such an honor to hear the three of you speaking today i learned a lot and there's kind of like fire once again as a young person as a young southeast asians in australia I feel like this is such a great learning process for us to be better, especially post-COVID. Um, but before closing, I would, to I, would, I would just to remind our audience that uh, we will have our last webinar next month. We're partnering with Australia Indonesia Institute uh, with the topic of gender inter intersectionality and empowerment in Indonesia and Australia. So it's exciting, exciting talk next month. So stay tuned and also follow Kosindi at Kosindi. Uh, in our Instagram, Twitter, and also Facebook. Um, and also don't forget to wait for this podcast, I mean like this recording to be released in our podcast and in our YouTube channel as well. Okay, thank you very, very much. I hope you have a great 
evening and afternoon after this and selamat yeah. malam selamat makan selamat malam bye take care bye take bye care. everyone thank you bye bye